This episode of The Only Podcast About Movies was recorded a little differently. Shahir and I are on the road and therefore not in our normal soundproof chamber. We're sleeping top to toe. He's also right next to me. So if you hear any audio anomalies like someone telling you our sleeping arrangements, just bear that in mind and uh, we'll, we'll be back to normal as soon as possible. He made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Enjoy the show. Internet, this must be white man's intuition. My name is Matthew Kroll. And a blind pig sometimes finds a trouble. No. My name is Shahir Dowd. <laughs> and this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Hell or High Water. I know this is a little bit out of the... It's, it's, we tend to do movies one week after the release. It's been a few weeks since this came out. True, and we're sorry. But we wanted to do this movie specifically because we... Well, spoilers for our review. We both enjoyed it, and we, we want... People to have eyes on this movie. We basically want to get you guys at least hearing about it if you already haven't before it leaves theaters because we think it's worth it. Overall. It's also been a pretty dreadful summer at the movies. Also true. <laughs> so it's it's good to see a solid movie released in the middle right. of summer up against some big blockbusters that actually is worth your time. Yes. No, 100%. Actually, there's been a lot of those, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, they just don't get the money. Yes. So that's a, that's a sort of the, the why we're doing this, uh, and we, we think it's worth it. But uh, before we get into the film, let's do a little housekeeping, Shahir. Oh, a little housekeeping. This is going to be an interesting one because we've been out of the house for a couple we've of weeks. We've been out of the house. We got clean it up. We're actually out of the house now. Shh. <laughs> don't tell mom. But there's something special that we've just released that's well, right released a week ago yep you can now find all of our content in one place no longer no longer dear listener do you have to use your little hands to type in two separate addresses how do to we find... know their hands are little well i'm presuming they're little okay everyone has little hands right uh no <laughs> little stubbies tapping uh, away on the keyboard uh... you can go to onlymoviepodcast.com to see all of our content aggregated. You can reach us there. You can find out about the podcast. You'll also be able to find out any news and upcoming events like our last week's event which was held live at PAX. We hope you'd listen to that episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, please listen. It was such a good time. The audience was amazing. The convention was awesome. Also, thank you so much to our special guests in the panel, Red Charzen and James Portnow. They killed it. They kept us They kept us honest. And, and uh, James was a great host to us in Seattle as well. That is true. So thank you to him and all of the Extra Credits crew. Uh, and I, I think we fixed... Hollywood. I think the next In video game movie. Shot. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, Assassin's Creed might be a little too late. No, I think they're doing reshoots based on what based we just on what we said. Okay, based no, on that's what we good. Said. No, but it was great. Thank you, everyone who came out. It was wonderful and, and a great um, audience who were like really into it, asking us a lot of questions. I talked to a lot of them after the show. They were all super excited and, and nice and wanted to. I mean, basically continue the discussion, and that's what we wanted. So it was yeah. awesome. Uh, thank we, you again. We sacrificed a lot for that for that panel. We watched a lot of shitty we, movies. Yes, it is. Panel. It was our. It was our. <laughs> duty. So again, go to onlymoviepodcast.com to hear all of our podcasts, to get in touch with us, anything you want to reach out to us with as well, including those movie requests. Um, you can reach us directly at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at onlymoviepod or just stop it on our Facebook page, which is always a hotbed of, of, of some kind hate. of activity. And if you like what you hear, always please go to iTunes, give us those reviews. It Ooh, helps yeah. a lot to get ears I over our stuff. I love those reviews. I eat them up. Uh, he eats them up. He, he specifically told me, Shahir told me he likes the two star. No, uh, <laughs> 
uh, as many stars as you'd love. As, as many you can reviews spare. as I can get insulting the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As or many Matt. that you can insulting Shahir for insulting the Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe. That, that's just like a. Well, you did it. Too. It shows your face. No, oh, it's that was true. Just shows your face response. Also, I expected more from you, Matt. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Now on with the movie. Hell or high water. Did, let me let me just ask you a question first. I know I do this all the time, but I'm going to do it again now. Are you a big fan of Westerns? No. Really? Well, here's the here's the weird thing about that. My gut reaction whenever anyone asks me if I'm a fan of a Western, I say no. Right. And I don't know why that is. Here, here's my the reason. the more Westerns I watch, I'm yeah. like, I like this. So here's my reason, and it might be the same reason for you. Westerns are the genre of my dad. Yeah, but it's I like, like my I, I like my dad. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not that I don't like my dad. <laughs> what? What did? You, why don't you like your dad? It's just, that, it's just that those are the films that my dad would want me to sit down and watch. And as a kid, sometimes you don't want to watch those long, drawn out movies that your dad likes. Right? No, that's very true. Um, and and I, I mean, I've seen all the. I would say I've seen most of the big American westerns. I've right. seen like The Searchers, Once Upon a Time in the West, High uh, Noon, the original High Noon, because no, that's the one seen, that I loved. I haven't seen High Noon. You should really, you should check that out. That mm-hmm. I saw in high school. Yeah, and it, it's fucking cool. I also, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Stewart in the western. So the man who shot Liberty Valance right. really does yeah. it for me as well. Um, and you know, of course, like the modern western revivals, like Unforgiven, uh, and then even the sort of noir westerns like no country for old men there will be blood i think and another thing someone might have been talking to me i don't remember someone told me this so this is not my original thought so if someone if they're listening right now email us this in imaginary person yeah but like a western you start to like them as you get older because yeah. <laughs> it's about a bygone like it i don't know there's something about like the ageness the aging i don't know the, the terminology but like Westerns feel like the act of getting older in a right. weird sort of way. And so as I'm getting older, I'm starting to like this sort of like nostalgic look back on not that the West, the, the quote wild West was not a fun place to live, but I think it, uh, if it you're does, a white man, I think it was, I don't Anyone think it was else? fun for anybody. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Uh, but you're saying it's not, sorry. I thought you're saying it was a fun place. To no, live. no, I'm I think saying it was an awful place. It was an awful what time was that to live. Sith MacFarlane film that came out a couple of years ago. Oh, the, uh, the, a thousand ways to die in the West. Yeah, or 10, yeah, exactly. That was atrocious. <laughs> um, no, but like it's that sort of like it's nostalgia personified for older people in a weird way. So, Cause you're looking back at like the, f- the, the it tells you that there is no country. There is a no. This is no country for old men now. Is that right? Is that what you're I, trying to I say? Yes. It's just an interesting sort of thing where like th- that's the nostalgia factor. I feel like is you look back and you're like, oh, this was such a cool time when in actuality it was anything but. So one thing is anything that I learned at college, you know, that I'm passionate about, I will try to like talk to you about it in my own words. But I did a Western class when I was... Oh, I thought you were uh, going to talk about experimentation. I was wondering where <laughs> you were going to go I did a Western that. genre class when I was in college. But it, was, it's just, it definitely wasn't like one of my favorite classes. It wasn't a, a class that I really was excited about. But I did see a lot of Westerns. And, I, and the thing that I... Uh, my takeaway from that class entirely was the idea that Westerns were this this notion of frontierism, this idea that there was this this place that was uncharted that needed to be charted um, by people who were pioneers. Um, and that's that. And, and like the idea of the Western that I thought was really interesting was that you could transpose that idea into science fiction, for example, like space exploration was really the Western of the modern of the modern century. Sure. And you could take I mean, you take the cool sort of tropes of Westerns and you put it in everything. One of my favorite television series of all time ever to grace an airwave is Cowboy Bebop. That's right. Space. That's Cowboys. That's anime. I, I mean, I would say I, I think you could argue that Breaking Bad is kind of a Western. 
Yeah, in the, in the way that that Walter White is an anti-hero. Oh, actually, I don't. You know what? Though? It's a, he's an aging man trying to fight back again. Right, against- but I wouldn't even call Walter White an an anti-hero. I don't. You know. think he's a hero? No, I don't. I oh. think he's a villain. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're getting off topic, but right. that's what um, you know the create the show creator always talked about was that he wanted to see uh, Mister Rogers turning into Scarface. Good, <laughs> they did it. So back to Hello High Water. Obviously, this is in that category of modern Western that we were talking about earlier, films like No Country for Old Men, because it's set today, uh, but it's set in Texas, although not filmed in Texas, interestingly. Really? Where was it filmed? I think it was filmed in Albuquerque or New Mexico. Wow. Some some message board was talking about how it was a film that, and it was because the film is so specifically referencing Texas cities. so weird. And it wasn't filmed in Texas. I wonder what, I mean, cheaper? Of course. That would be the reason to do it. Yeah. so well, then it's, then it's Texas's fault. <laughs> I'm going to read the IMDb summary right now, but this, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm really interested about the way in which this story is told. So this IMDb summary is probably giving away more than the film gives away a lot. Okay. Uh, but here we go. A divorced dad and his ex-con brother resort to a desperate scheme in order to save their families from in West Texas. I mean, sure. <laughs> What's with IMDb? Uh, sort of synopsis because sometimes they like nail it and it's sort of in depth and other times it's like a catalyst what? happens for a person and they had to do a thing to make sure stuff happens. Is, is IMDB user aggregated? So I don't know. Because like, I, I don't know if it's a studio who wrote this or or if it's a user who wrote this. Yeah. The thing, I think the thing that's interesting, like, so right off, right off the bat, I really enjoyed this film. I, I really liked it. Now, I'm not 100% passionate about this movie and right. I'll get into why that is a little bit later. But I think this is a smart, well-executed film. And the thing that I really, really dug about it was that that plot synopsis that we've to- we just told you is really only revealed about 40 minutes into the movie. So it might, it, that plot synopsis might even be a spoiler because basically the thing, you know, the classic screenwriting trope is start as late as possible into a scene, into a story. You want people to catch up to the film. And this is a really good example of that. This film starts right in the middle of a robbery and we don't know who the players are. We don't know what their relationship is to each other. We don't know why they're doing it. We're just seeing process going down for like a good 10 to 20 minutes. And that robbery scene is wonderful for a couple different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good. Um, and, and, and we don't, the film kind of unfolds in this, in this, I would say it's unconventional now, but it's classic screenwriting 101. You know, don't, I can imagine in a lesser screenplay, this was written by Taylor Sheridan, by the way, who wrote Sicario and who's writing the upcoming sequel to Sicario, Soledad. He was also an actor. Wait, they're doing a sequel? Yeah. To Sol- yeah. Wow. Go back and listen to our Sicario review. I, that, that's a film that, again, I didn't love, but I love the director. And I always, that's a film I always kind of like go, I would, I would totally watch that again. That's a piecemeal love for me. I really appreciated pieces of that movie, yeah. but as a whole... But I would totally watch, I would, that's a movie I would 100% give another shot and, and I could totally be wrong about my opinion on that film. Um, How can you be wrong on your opinion, <laughs> I can be wrong, just not to you. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> so, so what I loved about this film is the way in which the story unfolds without, almost without exposition. So maybe that's why it is so, I mean, that, 
you know, the IMDb thing, it's about to save their family's farm in West Texas, right? We don't right? really know that. Until you don't know that until about 45 minutes in, but there's also a lot of details which we'll get into that they left out even from that synopsis. So even what, you know, when I first read it, I was like, well, that doesn't tell us shit. It's super generic. Mm. But I think to your point, that's why they kept it generic. And they gave it some information. And yes, it might be a spoiler, but you don't still know what, like. Yeah, no, no. Why? Uh, knowing that information, because I kind of knew that um, going into the movie as well, but knowing that information doesn't ruin the experience for you. Um, we should also say that that plot kind of entirely misses out the fact that this film has Jeff Bridges doing uh, his best Rooster Cogburn, uh, Rooster Cogburn from uh, True Grit. It's Jeff Bridges doing Jeff Bridges, and I'm totally fine with that. Well, it, it's it's more of the Rooster Cogburn, which, which is a very specific Jeff Bridges. It's not the dude... It's not the dude isn't Jeff Bridges. I I feel like a lot of performances lately from Jeff Bridges. And again, this is not a this is not a detriment. He hit the Jeff Bridges, as I'll call it, character fits into a lot of molds. This is like a like Cockburn was almost like that amped up and like his own character again. I feel like this, along with like uh, even like Tron Legacy and some of the other stuff he's done recently, has just sort of been like, oh, it's Jeff Bridges. Jeff, I think it's Jeff Bridges, the guru. You know, yes. like he's he's very much yes. the wise old man sitting in the corner. Yep. There's a, there's another Jeff Bridges that I loved uh, from the movie called The Contender, where he played the president, and he was kind of like huh. a comedic president who was always basically trying to get his chef to cook the most outrageous meal. So like, because the film was about like the first female presidential nominee. Okay. Hashtag relevant. Um, but it, did you just say hashtag? I did relevant? say hashtag. I am from the nineteen. No, I'm from two thousand and eight. <laughs> <laughs> I just flew in from my in my time machine. Uh, um, but, um, so he plays the president in that movie, but he's always trying to get his chef to cook the most outrageous thing. So he like calls up in the middle of the night and says, Hey, I want a shark fish sandwich or I want Kung Pao chicken at like two in the morning. And it was, it was kind of like he was co- comedic relief, but I think we, we see, there are many sides to Jeff Bridges. There is the, the elder statesman, the yes. kind that you get in Tron. Yep. There is the grisly old man, the kind you get in, um, uh, True Grit and this film. And then there is the old stoner, you know, the big Lebowski, the kind of, you know, weird old dude. And then, I mean, even Iron Man 1, you know, you got this sort of... That's sort of the guru, just evil. It, yeah, it was... Uh, I like... Tony Stark built this in a cave <laughs> with a box of scraps! Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love me some Jeff Bridges. Yes, Anything he's in is great. Uh, I'm always happy. And so what, the one thing that that synopsis leaves out is Jeff Bridges is a Texas sheriff on the hunt for uh, Chris Pine. And and everything about what I'm going to describe is cliche. It is, he's a Texas sheriff who's a few days from retirement, who has uh, a partner that who he works with, um, and they're on basically their last great hunt for a bank robbery. And, and also he knows everything going in. Like he's the one who looks at a robbery and goes, I think this is a spree. These boys aren't done yet. Right. You know, like it's that kind of like. That preternatural, I've been doing this forever, don't fucking question me i know my shit exactly exactly so the boys he's hunting for the guys that are stealing they're yeah. robbing banks are chris the pine and ben foster toby and tanner howard yeah um also did great jobs i feel like cast so well. and like ben foster is a guy that i think has kind of been in the he i mean he's he's ba- he has he's done a lot of shit and he's he's actually headlined films as well he played lance armstrong in a in a movie called the program recently he played medivh in warcraft oh okay that's um and and another western three uh, a really actually really great one 310 to yuma he was fantastic yes. in that as yep. well so and here in this film it's kind of like he's he, a chameleon i think he's a chameleon and it's weird because 
he's appropriately aged out in this movie because he is actually a little bit younger than Chris Pine. But they, yeah. But he's he he feels like ten years older. Well, yeah, because he he was the brother that was in prison that came out. And it's weird because he's not like if you've seen photos of Ben Foster, that's not what he looks no. like. He just he looks like he really lived in this either lived in this role or that's who he is now. I don't know what it is. And then he's cast against Chris Pine, Chris Pine, who has this, you know, obviously coming off Star Trek or maybe shot this before Star Trek, but has that kind of pretty boy movie movie star kind of looks. And and you can tell that not that, that that's under the surface of their relationship is that this, you know, like Chris, Toby, uh, oh, yep, actually, you got uh, it right. Yeah. Toby is the, is the, the special child of the, you know, the, 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 the good one. And Tana is, is the bad, is the bad. Apple. Toby's the smart, good one who mm-hmm. is going through a divorce and he Like he, he has yeah. two kids, but his wife has left him and there's a couple of things. And then Ben, Ben Foster Tanner was, I forget why he was arrested in the film, but I mean, but then he's already out in the, when this movie starts, but he was in jail for a while. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of a, a bit of a psycho. He's a he's a little the thing that I think the film psycho with a with a with a moral <laughs> compass for his brother psycho with a heart of gold. Uh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I don't even think he's a psych. Well, he is a yeah. There there he's is a some, sociopath. Yeah, there is some elements of sociopath. But the one thing that this film really plays on that I really liked is that these two people love each other. Like yes. really, they are brothers through and through. And there's a couple scenes that are very poignant to that and, effect, and it never feels like it's forced, and it never feels like they're. Um, trying, you know, they, they never feel like the film is trying to say, oh, these people love each other because of, it's just, no, these two are, bro- these two guys are brothers and they love each other and they will always be there for each other. And the thing that's cool about that is that's there from frame one. It's not, it's not something that's developed. It's not an arc in the film. It's there at all times. And I think, I, I don't know what it is about that, but I really just enjoyed seeing that relationship feel natural and real as far as acting is concerned. And, and as far as uh, that relationship, other than the specific scenes that are there to instruct you about that and you, the sort of undercurrent you're talking about, that's good acting. And through that, that's good directing in my and opinion, good writing but, and well, and good writing. But I'm even talking about like, it's beyond like the writing of it. Cause a lot of it was sort of like the action that they took or the, or their, that's their physicality it. around each other. Like there's a lot of small things that like, I feel like are missing from a lot of like, you're my brother and I love you moments in films. Yeah. So like this movie, for whatever reason with Chris Pine and Ben Foster, they, uh, they either had an amazing chemistry to start or they worked at something that, that you could feel beyond what was written on the page, what the director told them to do. I mean, the director probably helped, th- you know, craft this whole thing, Yeah, but there's definitely something extra there that you don't get in a lot of either bigger movies or just like, almost like, um, well, movies that leave that sort of by the wayside. It's funny because, uh, we're talking about Chris Pine and we reviewed Star Trek Beyond, uh, recently. I think Star Trek Beyond is one film that actually kind of gets those relationships right where you feel like yes. very genuine. But uh, again, I will say the thing about Star Trek, you know, in the Star Trek universe is that Star Trek is always trying to reiterate what the relationships are between these people. Like we're always trying to say Spock is my is my brother, you know, he's been there through me. Uh McCoy, you know, like is my best friend. We're all, you know, like the, the film is always reiterating that. What I like about Hell or High Water is it doesn't reiterate that at any point. They're just like we're Right, brothers. it's an undercurrent. It's not a plot point. Yeah. Um, by the way, you mentioned the director as well, yes. um, directed by David McKenzie, who's, a, who's, this is a, the first film of his I've seen, but it's been sitting in my iTunes queue for a long time is a film of his called start up, which, um, he's a British director. He's been doing this for a while. Yeah, he's, he's like been, 50 or something. He looks like he's 30. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he does look very young and he, 
Um, the only, I mean, I've heard of a couple of Young Adam um, and Mr. Foe. I've kind of heard of, but not, I haven't really been interested, you know, like been going out of my way to see, but I heard Startup, which has Ben Mendelsohn in it, who's one of my favorite character actors, uh, has been sitting in my iTunes queue for a while and I, I just never got around to it. Uh, it's kind of like uh, in the name of the father about a young prisoner who goes to prison and finds his father in that prison. Okay. Um, so I've been meaning to see that for a while. Now, having seen Hello, High Water, I will definitely go back and yeah, watch this Startup. Is, guys, if you take one thing away from this, dear listeners, is that this is one of those films even if uh, I don't even know, like even if Westerns aren't your thing and you weren't like super blown away by this particular movie, which there's a lot to be, but say you're not, it's one of those things that as a cinephile or as someone who enjoys movies, you'll be like, Oh, this was crafted. Well, I want to see more from the guy who directed this. Right. Like right. It, it's, it's a, it's a good letter. It's like, this is a fucking great resume for this dude. It, it is. I, I, I mean, mean, he's been doing it for a while. I know, but yeah. like, I, for me, it was like, this is my my entrance fee. And now it's like, if I hear that he's doing another film, I will go to the theater and see that movie. Great. I, I mean, you know, I again, I really, you know, and the other thing that I, another takeaway from to recommend this film, and I think we touched upon it when we talked about our impressions of Westerns as well. I think this is a great movie to go to, you, go to with your dad. Like, and, and I don't mean that in a derogatory, you know, like as a, as a, as a cut against the movie, but I think this is a kind of, father son bonding kind of like it's I, mean, a, I would say i mean i'm an only child i would say brother go see it with your brother or your see, sibling go see it with your brother or sibling as well but it, you know like it's a, it go see it with a family member knock over some banks don't knock over banks don't knock over banks with your family member if you or if you do have a great plan yeah if you do make sure you're knocking over the bank that's actually trying to foreclose on your farm so what I, the other side of what I really liked about this was that it really is t like if it's cutting at anything, it's cutting at the heart of modern America's obsession with capitalism and with with the way in which in the way in which capital, well, modern American social capitalism has has basically allowed us to favor those with money against those who don't have money. Yes. And, and it, you see that from the, the, the very first frame of this, well, it's not the first frame, but there's this really kind of really cool panning shot where the, which opens the film, which circles around and we see a piece of graffiti on the wall and, and the, the graffiti on the wall says, I did three tours in Iraq, no bailout for me. And then we come to the bank. Right. So, you know, like the, you, you know what you're getting right in the beginning. And, and there's a sort of, undercurrent of i mean it has to do with texas it has to do with with this notion of the 99 percent versus the one percent you know like um that 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 basically these guys who are robbing banks and you know again we it the film sets them up as a bonnie and clyde kind of thing but bonnie and clyde were essentially psychopathic in some way they were they were they were psychologically damaged in some way. Sure. Um, these two guys are not set up as the villains of this piece in any way, shape, or the form. The great thing about this movie is, is... There are no villains. Well, you could argue that Ben Foster's character is the closest thing to a villain. No, the only... I, I would actually and say... And we'll talk about... I'll say why I think that at the end, but I... Uh, I would say the bank manager at the end is probably is the closest the, thing the, to a villain is the villain. He is the unseen villain of this film and they, he does, they do it. But uh, so I, are we into spoilers now? Yeah. Well, one thing I just wanted to say before we get into spoilers, uh, the star of this show, in my opinion, for this entire film, and I will actually crack one open for this gentleman is uh, Gil Birmingham, mm. who plays the deputy. 
And he basically has to endure racial taunts from Jeff Bridges' character the whole way. But he, I, I've seen him. He's been in a lot of things. And the thing I saw him most recently in is he plays um, Twilight. Uh, You're watching Twilight, weren't you? Don't is he watch. in Twilight? He's in Twilight. What's he in Twilight? I don't know, but he's in Twilight. I'm just looking at his IMDb page. Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, he is. He's um, he's the werewolf's dad. Oh, is he? Yeah, no. But I was thinking of he's in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He plays. Oh, right. um, He's in, he's in a lot of TVs. Yeah, House of Cards, I, I really Banshee. like him as an actor. And this just, I don't know. He he was sort of the unsung hero for me in this. Like you have these other big name people and he just fucking killed it. it yeah. was, he was great. You know, there's a, well, before we get into spoilers as well, there's a thing that I loved about this film, which is basically Marcus Hamilton played by Jeff Bridges and Alberto played by Gil Birmingham, who we just mentioned, um, are longtime friends, longtime partners. And Jeff Bridges is the curmudgeonly older wise man. And basically his whole shtick is he's, he, he plays an old, he's acting as an old racist. And what I mean, acting as an old racist, he is, he is playing the part in the, as his character plays the part of an old racist, because that's what everyone expects him to be. And so he spends the entire time, um, making snide remarks about the fact that Gil Birmingham is, you know, a Native American, half Native American, half Native American, Native American, uh, half Mexican, you know, and like Jeff Bridges doesn't know the difference. Um, and you know, like, like, and and, you know, the, the quote that we mentioned at the beginning, it's white man's intuition. And then, you know, he comes back. I think that line, even a blind pig finds a truffle is just a beautiful, like sly little, countered you know which is just which just gets at the point and you can feel again you know because you've got the two brothers on one side and then you've got these two partners on the other side who are kind of brothers as well you can feel there's a playfulness with that exchange it's not that you know like um alberto is sitting there kind of like pissed off that he's always being berated he gives it back as well and you know i you know i'm a brown guy I, the, the, my favorite white people are the people, oh, thanks buddy. Yeah. Are the people that, that have fun with our differences. You know, like I really enjoy that. Like, and that might just be my sense of humor, but there's a guy, like, for example, there's a guy I work with in New Zealand who was my old boss. He reminds me so much of Jeff Bridges in this movie. Word up to Andy Gibb. I don't know if he listens to this podcast, <laughs> Andy. <laughs> but basically I invited Andy to, <laughs> to, to give a speech at my wedding. And, and Andy, you know, walks up to a, a, a wedding filled with 600 Indian people and proceeds to tell racist jokes as one of the only white people in the room. And I, I, I was in a bold move. God. Let's see how it works out for him. <laughs> and God bless Andy. His, his, his delivery is perfect. He is, he is a natural born comedian that never was a comedian. Um, and I was in stitches rolling on the floor laughing so hard. And I think it's, and to me, and I know it's my own wedding, but it was, I think it's one of the, you know, the great wedding speeches of all time having to the weddings I've been to. And so I love this idea of, of race being acknowledged and being played like, the, you know, like there's this idea that truly between two friends, there is no need for a safe space where words can't be said. And I think that's what this relationship between Marcus and Alberto gets at. Um, now, obviously, there are power dynamic undercurrents that that makes that problematic if you really want to do an analysis of race, because because and there's one or two scenes where you can actually see it getting to, to Alberto. Alberto exactly. And so, 
And and I think the film smartly plays at that as well. And obviously, we're still in a situation where, you know, Marcus Hamilton being the white guy is the the top billed person in the movie, right. and Alberto isn't. Um, you know, like you're not going to see Gilbert Burns, and that has to do with economics as well as race. Um, so there's it's it's a complicated thing, but again, there's this there's this relationship that I. I kind of enjoy, and it's a, it's a very trusting thing. Like, you know, you have to, you have to know the person you're with to be able to make fun, racist jokes. If that, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? Sure. If that's your cup of tea. Yes. Yeah. Oh, are you getting uncomfortable? You're, you're like, no, no, I'm not uncomfortable. The, the, the interesting thing about it is, cause I was just thinking about like, we're talking about this dynamic and obviously we're of different race. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you and I don't joke like that. No, we do. I don't think we do, but we could. I, I know we could. <laughs> and I don't know. And again, I, maybe this is, I mean, of course, this is me because I understand you'd be 100% comfortable with that. I, in my brain, I just come from the school of like, I just, I don't, I would rather make fun of, I would rather make fun of you for you not your background or almost culture like I, you sure, know we joke yeah, around a lot and i do believe you're pretentious but <laughs> the but like I, but i'm not a pretentious indian i'm just a pretentious exactly guy. <laughs> you're a pretentious filmmaker right. like that's and that to me that trope is so much more powerful and funny i again yeah. maybe it's just playing to my specific sense of humor i think i for me being a minority who like the thing is is that and I don't know if it's a badge of honor. I don't think it's a badge of honor, but it's something that that you have to confront when you're a minority. Which, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's true of Alberto here as well in this film, is that at some point you will be called racial slurs. I, I, you know, and it's it's sad that I I will have to explain that to my son at some point. Right. And, I, and you know, like I think African American men have a really different, you know, like have a different task than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but at some point I will have to explain to my son you know, hopefully the world would have changed by then, but I don't think it will have, is that, is that you, at some point, someone will say a racial slur against you in anger and in hate, and it right. will be reductive and it will be, and they will reduce you down to the color of your skin. And it's happened to me. It's happened to me a lot. Um, it happens, to, and I, but I'm not special in that. I, if, I think every person of color has had that happen to them. Right. And so I think one of my coping mechanisms or I, something that I enjoy is is subverting that expectation. Sure, there's something there. You're you're taking the the even the power dynamic of that situation and in in a lighthearted way as to, to say it, turning that frown upside down. Yeah, turning. I, I think South Park does that well. Yeah, uh, you know, like brilliantly in the South Park. Uh, was it the South? The South Park movie where they had uh, Operation Darkie or something like that, where like we're sending the black troops in first, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, the no, fa- Operation Human Shield, no, Operation Human Shield, Operation Darkie. Remember, listen. protect our tanks and planes too. It's it's a very listen, listeners. If you're a white man or a white woman listening to this, it is a very 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 fine line, and it is a very you have to if. I'm not recommending this, but I think when this re- <laughs> here we go. Let's see what he's, let's see where it's going. If you have a relationship with a person of color and you ha- and you're comfortable with each other, I think one of the the best crossing of boundaries you can do is to is to have fun about each other's race. I really do. I really I love that dynamic when we get when we get into it, and I love like playing around with that idea because it subverts. If for me again, it subverts the the time at which. I've had a bottle thrown at me and I've had, and I've been called the N word, which happens, you know, like it happens on the street. 
Um, you know, so and I'm sure Alberto has had that experience sure. without a doubt. Yeah. So to to have this relationship with Marcus, which is playful in that sense, I think is special and unique. And I don't think we see it a lot in movies. Well, I guess I got to start looking up Indian jokes. Uh, <laughs> Be I don't very know. careful, my friend. I, don't know. I, have, I have very thin Indian skin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just told me to do it. Oh, but see, that's the game I play with you. I'm missing this is the with worst. your mind. I'm going back to just calling you pretentious. You are so uncomfortable in the room right now. It's uh, great. No, no. I, I just don't. I, again, it's one of these things. That everything you're saying is 100% true. I don't have that history or that sort of, you know, like I can't I can't speak to it. So no, I'm no, just, of course not. I'm just it, it's, agreeing because I agree. I say, it's it's one of those things. It's a very fine line, and you always there's there's a there is definitely a moment where it can go one step too far, and you can and you'll right. You really got to know what you got to know your audience. Well, speaking of going one step too far, <laughs> let's get to the plot of this movie into spoilers because these, brothers, these brothers, these brothers, will maybe go a step too far once or twice. Again, what I love so far is that we've been talking about character rather than plot. Yes. And, you know, like, and this film has such great character. Well, that's 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 what you're getting for the price of admission. That's something that, uh, you know, because, look, if you broke down what happens in this movie, there are some clever things in a twist or return here that I didn't quite see coming, but it's not the most, like, plot-wise, it's not going to blow your mind. In but fact, the characters make you care so much that it feels... yeah. Like a much bigger thing than the sum of its parts. That I I I agree with you. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head because I I think my one criticism of the film right is that it unfolds very matter of factly. Like it's nothing. There's no turn that happens in this film that feels like a surprise or that I wasn't expecting that or that even that that is out of the realm of possibility. Once or twice it happened to me, but again, not like a like oh my god the plot changed thing like something happened in a snap moment and I was like. Whoa! Yeah, and then like, like he, if you look back at the story of it, I'd be like, well, yeah. That, if I was thinking about it critically, that's probably where this was going. Well, we're in spoiler territory now. Spoiler territory. Spoiler town. Um, <laughs> let's never do that again. Yeah, no, let's never do that again. Um, but but obviously, if you have seen the film at this point, you know that Ben Foster dies at the end, and I didn't feel that his death was particularly surprising. It it kind of happened. It unfolded very matter of factly. Now, there's a lot of process. That's not to say it wasn't engaging. It was very engaging, and I was very invested in where this went. But when he died, uh, Jeff Bridges shoots him uh, through the head. Very good shot, by the way. Um, it happened in such a sort of matter of fact kind of way, and and the this whole film, the way we we learn about the the mortgage and the foreclosure and the divorce and their plan. It all happens very matter-of-factly. Well, let's even, before we go there, let's talk about this plan. Like, because basically, they, they, the plan is they're going to rob a series of banks, and the film follows them from the first mm -hmm. bank to the last bank. Well, it's even more audacious than that. They're going to rob a particular bank where... I'm the, getting there. Yeah, the, 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 the branches of banks, I forget the name of the fake bank in the, in the movie. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. They're robbing all of the same bank but like there's you know the different branches of this bank and they're gonna do it to to basically this bank foreclosed no, no i'm sorry how did this is the one thing actually this is what i'll say that i didn't like about it or maybe that wasn't clear enough yeah so the bank was foreclosing on their farm now and i think what had happened was was that their mother was sick and they took out what and the mother had taken out one of those loans that you see on tv like yes the L, that's you know, what it is uh what are those loans called where you're um basically Oh, uh, fuck you, pay me loans. No, 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 they're, 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 
they give you a loan against the value of your house now so you can a use lien? it. Yeah, so you can use it to pay for medical expenses for your retirement, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and then they basically come and take your house. And then and then the family will either take it, pay it back with your life insurance afterwards, or they will foreclose on your house. Right. Side note, the land of this farm apparently also had oil apparently. in it. Apparently. Yeah, that did not have, uh, that the bank did not know about. Right. And so the bank was going to foreclose on this house and basically have a windfall of this oil that Which they didn't know was coming. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris, Chris Pine's Pine. character knew. And so he came up with the scheme to rob the bank itself that was going to foreclose Ugh. on their farm and pay back the bank with, with the money they stole from the bank. Exactly. And I, I, I think there's a, like a, a lovely kind of like, perverse Robin Hood, you know, like yeah, I'm, because I'm stealing it's, from literally the rich to pay everyone for my... in this story is stealing from somebody. The bank played off of fears of people and basically swindled and stole money to, to uh, you know, gave money to then steal more money back at interest. And then the brothers, the brothers mm. are now stealing from the bank who they think stole from them to then pay them back and cancel out the debt that they originally got by stealing. Like it's yeah. a very, uh, it's a very sort of perfect circle. It, it, I mean, again, it just reminds me that, that, that modern financial transactions are never in the favor of the individual of, of an individual. No. It's like when you go to the bank, you are it's like going to a casino. You're gonna get screwed. You just don't know it yet. Um, yeah. You know, like like and you know, American interest rates are are a real prime example of that. Anywhere in the world, you can get an interest rate of up to three or four percent. To you know, like to and and banks do that. Well, the 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 floating the fixed interest rates of most countries is designed to encourage people to save money. Okay. But America is one of the only places I've gone to, you know, I've lived in where, where there is no encouragement to save. There's no, I mean, the, the highest interest rate you can receive on a savings account here is 1%. Oh yeah. I don't is, even get that. Which is list, you know, like the inflation is at three or 4%. So there's no, you know, you're losing money by keeping your money in a bank. You know, the, the economic incentive is to invest. Mattresses. In, in, <laughs> to invest in mattresses. No, put your money in the mattresses. Yep, that's that's what you should do. You're losing money if you do that, by what? the way. But I know where it is. It's in, yep. it's in my mattress. Let it my money is not in my mattress. <laughs> For everyone or, wants to know Matt's address and his or, mattress. Or is it? <laughs> I've hidden 12 mattresses around the city. So, uh, you know, it comes back to that. I, you know, I, and then the, the, the sort of what I, the thing that we're all, you know, films like the big short is waking us up to as well is this idea that, that, that we believe that those transactions are economically sound because that's the way the world that's works. That's the system. But it's not because when a bank fails, it gets bailed out. When a, when a farm fails, it gets sold and you lose. The banks never lose. Right. Of course the Lehman brothers lost, but that's another story. Um, so, you know, like there is an undercurrent of, of, of kind of just acknowledgement of the frustration of the everyday person when it comes to the way in which money is not in our power anymore. And the way this, mo this movie sort of flourishes is it's that weird like power fantasy of sort of getting back at the, at the man in, in a way that is just in your own heart in a weird sort of way. It's kind of like the Joker's plan in the dark Knight, or something like that. It's like just the perfect plan to like get what you want. I don't think it's like the Joker's plan. No, maybe that was a reach. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's not about the money here. It's about sending a message. What the hell voice was that? I don't know. I, it's, it's not my... about the money. 
it's about sending a message. I'm gonna need to sanitize that microphone. No, nope, you don't. Nope. You're gonna you're gonna sleep with this microphone. Um, so the their plan in particular. So that's the 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 macro of it. The micro of it is super fun. Yeah, so, you like the little details. So right? like little details, like they rob two banks and then get rid of the car and they do it in an interesting way where they literally just dug with like a, a backhoe, uh, a, a ramp down. Backhoe? Yeah. What's a, is that what it's called? Yeah. A backhoe? A backhoe. Uh, what would you call it? Side, I mean, I, I'm just going like now instead of calling a person a side chick, you can call them a, a backhoe. No, it's a piece of <laughs> it's a piece of digging equipment. Where? <laughs> Uh, do I have to explain everything to you? Listen, here? I did not grow up on a farm. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a piece of farm equipment. That's construction equipment. I, anyway, I, they use a big piece of machinery with a digging a implement backhoe. to dig. <laughs> yes, backhoe. it's called a backhoe. <laughs> How do you not know what a backhoe is? Oh, my God. Oh, but uh, I have so many they thoughts going through my cars, mind. They bury the cars, guys. They bury their so getaway cars. So many going through my mind right There's, now. I don't understand why. That's literally a piece of construction <laughs> equipment. Back home. <laughs> okay. They bury their getaway cars. Uh, it's very cool. They like drive it down into this hole. That, that to me is a slightly flawed plan because Why? those cars will eventually, well, there is a potential for those cars to be found at some point. I don't know, man. <laughs> if you're robbing, if there's so many, no one's, I don't know. Probably I, I, not. Yeah. It, it, it just, it just, you know, like, like the, I might not have buried them as close to the house that <laughs> they did. Like they have fields. They could just go bury them in the fields, but they bury it right next, right to, that. next to the house. So it's like, you could, <laughs> and you know, like if the one giveaway that these people were involved in the bank robbery is just find the cars on their person. Right. You know, so it's, yeah. it's kind of, but it, uh, no, but little things like but that the movie doesn't go there. No, no, no. Uh, uh, and then, you know, things start going a little wrong. Uh, sometimes do to Ben Foster's character uh, getting a little hotheaded and sort of rambunctious in well, a weird he kinda, way. He does that thing, which is that like, okay, he's got a, they've got a plan to rob two banks per day for three days or something, yes, like, something that. like that. And Ben Foster is they're They're having lunch at a diner. And um, uh, there's a great scene with the waitress in the diner who is a regular on Eastbound and Down, um, uh, Katie Mixon, mm -hmm. uh, which I just loved as well. And it also that still plays into the um, the idea of the economic transactions, which I will get into. But 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 he basically, you know, like he was like, OK, we're going to rob two banks a day. And Ben Foster does the equation in his head. Well, if I rob three today, we can we can have extra time tomorrow. So it's not like he's like thinking about this really logically it's but like, yeah he, and he basically gets up from their meal yeah leaves chris pine in the diner to pay the bill yeah. goes across the street and robs a bank very sloppily in the middle of the day that's another thing they uh chris pine who's the brains of the operation he probably thought of the bearing of the cars he also thought of like let's hit these things in the very early morning when no, no one is there yeah that way there's minimal casualties minimal people seeing us we're not stealing a ton of money from every bank so we don't always need the vault keys we need the drawers yeah and they, they're they're splitting it up and it was very intelligent. Yeah. Uh, but this was not. He just literally <laughs> runs across in the late morning to mid afternoon and robs a bank by himself. And and, uh, you know, like at a place where they've been seen eating food right across the street. Yeah. You know, it's like it's the dumb plan. And they get away. But then that leaves breadcrumbs for uh, for Jeff Bridges. Uh, to go. Yeah. It, it, you could argue that, that that's the kind of writer's convenience. It's not convenience, but it's it's like a writerly thing that allows Jeff Bridges to to basically chase the trail to be a, to be a cop. Yeah, to be a cop. And but it, the but trail like, but because it doesn't. The thing is, is that. Yes, it's a it, it does also explain Ben Foster's character, but it doesn't necessarily need to happen in order for the film to move forward. 
Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. So this is sort of like where you think, you know, it sort of starts them down a path. And I think this is why uh, Jeff Bridges sort of figures out that it's a pattern. Right. Well, um, he figured out that it was a patent right away. Didn't well, see, he? There was something that, this I, I, I thought this was a detriment at first, but upon further reflection, I think it's actually a merit to this film. I don't know how much him messing up that third bank and robbing that third bank impromptu really screwed them because the waitress, because they tipped a lot. Yeah. Didn't rat them out. No one in the diner ratted them out. Right. I'm trying to remember. No, but they did ID them, I think. And I think they they figured out who they were. Because did they, they? I felt like that was very perfunctory. Didn't yeah. like particularly matter what really screwed them. But maybe that was more of a character building moment to show Ben Foster's a little bit more of a loose cannon. And while yeah. this plan is wonderful, he is going to be the downfall and the brothers love each other, even though that's going to happen. Yeah. The downfall of this, because then, so uh, what's it called? Jeff Bridges. Uh, and Marcus. I want to start calling by their character names. So yeah. I keep it. Like, oh, Jeff Bridges. Marcus Hamilton. Uh, yeah. So Marcus and Alberto go based on clues to this other bank he thinks is going to be robbed. Yeah. Which never gets robbed. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, so yeah, they're waiting there while the brothers go. This is this is the coolest part about this movie, I think, because it's not like what you said before. It's like things just sort of happen and happen and happen. This is where I appreciated things not happening in that way. Mm -hmm. The cops go to the wrong bank, mm -hmm. and the next day, after, it actually it actually was the right bank, but then they changed their plan, wasn't it? Like no, they, no, 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 no. And, and and maybe I'm wrong. Let me get through this in my head, yeah, and we'll yeah. sort of go through. They go to the wrong bank. They wait. They have a great scene in a diner where they just serve steak. It's wonderful. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, the brothers. What don't you want? Go to uh, rob a bank. Uh, but the branch has been closed. It's been shut down. So their research was bad. Right. But they've already wasted time. So they have to go. To so another. they have to go to a, a bigger branch during the day to keep on their schedule. Right. And, and that and then somehow Jeff Bridges. They're driving away from the bank that doesn't get robbed, and then they they they, they basically do the map of like where are the where are the other branches of this bank yeah. in this vicinity so that will. There's a will weird moment in this film, and maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I hope not because I really enjoy this about it, where both groups, the quote good guys and the quote bad guys, uh, man, they both get their shit wrong, yeah. and it's super fun just to see them together <laughs> fucking up and then kind of fixing their plans and then going out. Yeah. Yeah. But it, you know, again, you don't see that a lot. No, you don't. And, and, and I actually, I really do like, again, I love the character moments and I love the way those scenes play out. They don't, they're like you said, there's no, there's no real consequence to the botched robbery and nothing that they do to each other causes them to figure to like have to do it, it you know like it has well, to do you're with talking the botch robbery at this point because when they get to the big bank there's a big old botchery well that's the that's the big botch yeah. robbery the 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 i guess it's not botch but the the diner robbery it doesn't like play out to 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 falter either side you think that's going to be the moment but it's not it's not really yeah and I, again i the the my criticism is very minor to this movie it my only criticism is that it feels uh, it unfolds very much like you would expect it to except if, for this middle part i feel yes right and but then what we do have in that middle part where Jeff Bridges and Alberto are having to basically spend the night you know staking out this bank that they think is going to get robbed are these wonderful character moments? Yeah, it gives time. Uh, where you're, where you just, you're just spending time with these two guys. And Alberto has this amazing monologue where he's talking about how we once ruled this land, 
And then we would, you know, we were taken over by you guys, the white man. Right. And now we're all, we're losing again because we're being taken over by those guys. And he points to the bank. Yeah. They're the ones that are like coming in and raiding us again. You know, it, it's basically every, every cycle someone comes in to raid us. And there is some wonderful imagery in this moment as well, where Jeff Bridges basically, you know, wraps himself in a blanket, walks around, walks outside and just sits outside the bank in the middle of the... I don't know if it's early morning or night. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, well, he this, sleeps out there. He wakes up because yeah, Alberto comes out and kicks him. Yeah. And it's just this weird thing. It's like, why would you do that? But it, it just gives you this like beautiful image of this man who I think at, at the re Marcus in his heart is on their side. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I think Marcus and Alberto in their heart of hearts, they know that what they're doing is wrong and what they, that they need to be caught. Yes. But in their heart of hearts, they're on their side. Yeah. You know, like, and you even, and, and I think it'll get to the, the last scene where the point at which where Marcus leaves their side. Oh um, yeah. yeah. I um, mean, we can get to that pretty quick cause we're sort of running short on time. So, uh, basically the last bank, uh, where they all sort of converge, um, goes awry they rob it in the middle of the day it is super crowded this is also texas there's already been jokes about concealed carries uh throughout this thing it's one thing i just loved about this movie was the idea that that the security guards aren't the people you need to worry about in texas it's the other customers right so uh they go in and then, you know, someone tries to be a hero in the bank that causes a shootout and Ben Foster's character shoots a guy and a they guard. Shoot, I think they shoot two or three people. Yeah, well, he does. Yeah. Chris Pine's character doesn't. And then they get away. But then as they're getting away, the entirety yeah. of the bank that is armed jumps in their trucks and chases them. It's like the posse out. has yeah. arrived in town and they've got four wheel drives pickup trucks and machine guns. Yeah. And it, that's crazy to me, but it's kind of like. It, it's not, it's w entirely within the realm of this world. I can't speak for Texas, but I can speak for New Hampshire. Right. Uh, you know, I feel like Texas might be a little bit more rambunctious, or at least the imagery of it is. But yeah. I guarantee you there's a lot of, I mean, I've, I grew up around sort of that sort of thing. Like not, not like the posse crazy like shootouts, but the ability to have one. And and you see this kind of eagerness in the in the part of the people. Oh who are, yeah, they're they're like, oh my god, oh, I'm going to go shoot a bank robber. Yeah, this is I'm I'm you know this is what I'm this is why I have my I gun. I was born for this. And I I you know like everything we talk about, I do find I don't think that this film glorifies gun violence. I think this no. film is actually like I, I, don't, I don't, but I don't think it's having it's making a commentary on it. Either. I don't think so either. It's a it's, it's a means to an end in a weird way. Whereas I feel like a film like um, Suicide Squad has a lot of gun violence that feels like we're going, man, isn't this cool? I'm shooting a gun. Whereas I feel this film is kind of like we're shooting a gun. That's it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like so, I still I still find the kind of. Um, proliferation of you know the, the the normalization of gun of people having guns and firing guns to me is problematic and it's kind of like and i to the point where i think we should be as a culture we've kind of looked at smoking on film as a, as kind of a problem you know like we're like even we shouldn't be saying that that's cool anymore unless you're in mad men and 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 i think we should we should start looking at guns in film that way like, I, I do think we should be looking at guns as a like, it, you know, we should be thinking about the way in which just normalizing people having guns is a detriment to, pe to, to people watching it. I, 
we, yes we, and yes uh, the, the, yes I will I, say I, there, there's a there's a there's obviously we don't want to get into censoring and I think you know you should have the mad no, men and, where and people also again I mean I I, I I have no this is this is my issue and it's yeah. almost like the parenting issue in a weird way I have no problem with the way guns are portrayed overall if and this is where the problem comes in if most all people are taught to in real life, know what a gun does, what it can do, and to respect and sort of know it, know where its actual place is. It's the same thing with violence of any kind. Yeah. It's the same thing with... Uh, it, basically, it comes down to <laughs> is mm. when a kid's growing up, talk to your fucking kid. And then it, I'd have no problem. The problem I see is it's just everywhere and no one talks about it. And then it becomes like, oh, this violence is normal. Yeah. And that's what... That's what gets me. Yeah, so I, th I think the normalization a, problem yes. is, is, is. So that's where I just I wanted to like, sort of like caveat. I want to be able to like walk into Deadpool and see a dude like, you know, double pistol someone through sure. the skull because I, you know, as as a as an adult who enjoys and fantasy, understands what you're watching. Exactly. But what I don't want to see is every billboard in Times Square of Deadpool holding a gun at pointing at people and then us talking about why do school massacres happen? Well, it's so funny because like Deadpool's uh, advertising never had a gun unless it was him grabbing his garage. Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I like that idea of subversion. Where's Jason Bourne? He's just pointing guns at your face. He's just pointing guns at your face. And like, we wonder, you know, and I guess, I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but anyway. Yeah, sorry, at, at, side note. Yeah, that, Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Getting off my soapbox here. But I, one thing is I don't feel, like there's a weird line that this film kind of has where it's like, it is... For people who aren't from Texas, you know, like it is strange to like know that everyone's carrying a gun and that the minute that there is a crime, everyone's a vigilante and it's like out, the posse is out and the police kind that of. That didn't feel strange to me. Really? It, it, I mean, to me, it's like, that's weird. Like, know. you know, I can see that, especially yeah. living where we live now. And it's like the police also encourage it. You know, like they're, yeah. they're, they're not like saying, get the fuck out of here. You know, go home. <laughs> they're like, We're, no, help us out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so they chase them to this ridge uh, or they, 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 they split off because they yeah. get into a second getaway car. Chris, Chris Pine, Pine gets away. Uh, ben Foster goes to do a distraction. And that distraction is basically killing a bunch of police officers. I like the little details there. Again, it's a gun thing, but it's weird. But it's like the idea that he taped together the two ends of his machine gun ammunition so that when and you see him doing it the night before and they're talking about why would you take a machine gun I'm not going to take the machine gun it's not going to be there but you see him taping together the ammo rounds to, like uh, at opposite ends so that the mags you're talking yeah, so you mags. can flip it yeah and yeah. then so that when he's like when he's doing the shootout he like he suddenly like pulls one out and flips it and I was like oh that's why yeah. he was taping it together and I was like that's something you don't like that little You've never detail seen that? I've never I mean, seen it's a nice detail it, it shows that he kind of knows how to uh, fire it as quickly as possible. But yeah, I mean, I've seen that. I've seen and that also there. it's like, it's a nice, it's a nice, it, you know, like most of the time with guns and stuff, we don't even see people reloading it. We don't, or you know, prepping. Yeah, well, yeah, prepping it, and you just kind of, you feel that. And I yeah. just kind of like that detail. Oh, it was nice. Yeah. Um, so then basically what happens is Alberto sadly gets very quickly and very sort of out of the blue dispatched, uh, shot through the, through, through the eye, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that's what sort of breaks uh, Marcus Jeff Bridges' character and just sort of is like, nope, this is fucking it. Because it was basically his best his friend. His best friend in uh, the film, as far as we know. Right. Um, so then he sneaks up behind him and then eventually kills uh, Ben Foster's character. Well, it, but it's again, it's a, uh, it reminds me of, again, of True Grit, the Coen Brothers film, the Rooster Cogburn, where it's not a simple process. He has to climb a mountain behind 
Ben Foster's character and it's exhausting and it's hot and he has to take a gun and another guy and another guy. And you know, like it's a, it's very detail oriented. It's not a simple, I'm going to shoot, you know, you shoot me, I'm going to shoot back kind of thing. And in true grit, it's like, I have to get this girl to this place and we don't have a horse the to do it. The gun violence in this movie felt real. Yeah. And it had weight. Yeah. And that's it, something it, it, that it, I appreciate. It meant something. Yes. So uh, that happens. And then it sort of cleans up there. Uh, Chris Pine, while this is all going on, goes to the bank and has to like, like basically pay the bank back. And the bank is even trying to screw him at that point, being like, oh, we'll get this back to you in three weeks. He's like, nope, nope. I'll watch you fax it right now. That's uh, what I love. That is that that's the kind of bureaucracy you encounter when you're dealing with a large institution, you know, like, like, and banks do this all the time where they will order your credit. Like if you're using a credit card, they will order the credit, the transactions in order to give them the highest interest rate. Uh, Yeah. Um, You know, and, and what the bank is doing in this scenario with Chris Pine is they're basically saying, Oh, we'll get this paperwork to you in three weeks, you know, and we'll probably lose the paperwork so that it never goes through. And Chris Pine and, and like, I wish people held could just deal with the individual, in an individual at the bank, like they deal with like someone else that they work with, which is right. you just say, no, you're going to do it right now because I'm standing in front of you and it is, and you, and it it's is, your job. It's your job. Yeah. Don't give me this. Like, I don't have the authority to do that kind of bullshit. I want you to do this right now. Yeah. Um, so he gets away with it, but Jeff Bridges sort of knows kind of what's up and there's this beautiful scene. I, I mean, we won't I, you know, say too much about it, but it's just like, uh, Jeff Bridges ends up at Chris Pine's place a little bit later. There's already oil rigs on the uh, yeah. uh, 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 drills on the um, on, the, on the property. Yeah. And they have this whole thing. He's like, uh, he's like, you know, I killed your brother. Yeah. And, and he, he was like, and, and he's they, trying to goad him out. Yeah. But he's also like, you know, uh, he invites and then he invites him in for a beer yeah, and they yeah. have that that fucking awesome westerny moment where two dudes who fucking hate each other are being like cordial yeah and like being like then he basically ends it with he's like i forget how it ends but it's like i'll, I'll see you like they basically like you won't be able to live with what you've done four people died because of what you know like and, and it's the the thing that that jeff that that chris pine that jeff bridges is asking chris pine to 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 deal with which is that Four people died because of what you did. And you did what you did because you felt that it was the right thing to do in order to save your family. And he's, and, and Chris Pine even says that he says, I wanted my boy, I wanted my boys not to have to worry about money. Right. And that's, and that's what I want for them. And that's what I, that's why I did what I did. And, and, and Jeff Bridges is like, well, because of what you did, four people died. Was it worth it? Can you live with that? And the thing that's interesting is that I think, a more typical film might have made that moment like the weight of what's happened would come down on Chris Pine and he'd suddenly realize what he's done. But I don't feel that going forward that this character is, has any regrets about what he did because he got what he wanted. Now, the, only, like, the biggest regret he would have is that his brother died. Sure. But, but I, I feel like his character is so hardened at this point that, that he's kind of like, okay, that's what, I, that's what had to happen. And I, what I would, I mean, again, I love this ending. I thought it was very smart. I thought it was very well written. I would have loved for Marcus to have some acknowledgement about Alberto's death at this moment. I would like, I, I mean, he did, he, he we, told him that he died, but I would have loved him like to kind of for us to, I don't think Marcus ever acknowledges how much Alberto meant to him. But you see it. He doesn't acknowledge you it to other people, it, but he yeah. doesn't acknowledge anything to anybody. I maybe think that's you're right. Fine. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's kind of the, 
you know. So yeah, the, the end scene is is basically amazeballs. And mm. this film is really good. Uh my I guess my final thought is uh this this sort of movie it, it's uh, in case you didn't know, you, I think you should see it. Uh I think it's you know, it's one of these movies that's going to be swallowed up by other big name shit. And normally, you guys know, I don't have problems with big name shit. Uh, but when when something like you Suicide have Squad with big name shit swallowing other shit, you understand me. You uh, get me. Yeah. Uh, but home. like Suicide Squad, if that's making bank and this movie isn't, that bothers me. So the uh, truth of the matter is, is this movie, it cost 12 million dollars to make. Right. In it's uh, release so far, it's made 11.3 uh, domestic estimate. So it's not. It's not doing bad, but it's not. I mean, this is a film that I think a lot of people should see and a lot of people would enjoy. That's my final thought. And I'm just sad yeah, that it, I think it's being outshined. And I think, you know, like I think the dads who love Westerns as much as that, like that sounds like a negative. I think they would love this. And I don't think because I, I don't think they'll like Suicide Squad. I don't think anyone will like Suicide Squad when a they actually watch it. A lot of people are liking Suicide Squad. I don't know why. Um, but I think it's very hard to walk out of this movie and not like it. It, it the, you know, this movie is just so classically structured so well put together so well thought out it's hard to you know my only flaw is that it's occasionally unsurprising but sure. that's not a that's not a that bad that's not a huge flaw i'm still engaged in the film that's my final thought on All this right. is definitely go see it and okay so to me it would be it's a pretty good film but in the context of 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 the garbage that we've been fed it's an amazing film Sure. Yeah. I'll give, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, guys, this has been the only podcast about hell or a high water. If this is your first time listening, especially after the PAX episode, <laughs> we don't normally agree this much. And we've been agreeing a lot uh, recently. Uh, this is such a strange sort of span we're on. Don't worry. We'll start screaming at each other soon. Uh, yeah. But Shahir, before we hate each other again, where can folks find you? They can find me at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Um, all my work, films, and, and connections to my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff is there. If you're interested, I don't know why you would be. <laughs> <laughs> you can hit us up at onlymoviepodcast.com. This is our new site. This is where we aggregate everything. You can see all of our past episodes. We've got over 60 hours of content. This one will be 61. Wow. Uh, so you could listen to us for three straight days. Um, <laughs> Don't. I mean, if you really wanted to. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no. And, and all our links to our, uh, our, again, you can hit us up uh, directly at email at onlymoviepodcast at gmail. We love to hear uh, listener feedback. We, we also take love, requests. We take requests that we try to fill in as well. We've got aliens coming up, boyhood, and uh, something. Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, drive. Don't I'm, you fucking that, say it. That may be a moment where we'll be yelling at each other. I think that will be. Um, um, uh, yeah, and so really get in touch with us and leave us those iTunes reviews. We really love those. Hey, Matt, where can we find you? Thanks for finally passing to me, Shahir. Yeah. You can find me at Matthew Kroll, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z, or on Twitter at Emperor M-S-K. Also, give us those iTunes reviews. Do you love us? Do you hate us? Hell, uh, if Why you- Why would you hate us? I, I have to think of some reasons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they uh, help greatly, and we really appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to write a song Call the, my backhoe right now. <laughs> I'm gonna write a hip hop song called My Backhoe. Uh, please email in and tell Shahir the name of other construction equipment he doesn't understand. <laughs> we'll see you next week, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.